and welcome back to the I'm Moving to Italy podcast. This is Nathan Heinrich, and I would like to welcome you back to Season 2. This is Season 2, Episode 1, and you know what that means, my friends? That means that we have made it through six months of this journey together. And you know, when you travel with someone, because we are in essence, traveling together. And those of you who have traveled and love to travel, which is most of you, you know that the best way to make or break a relationship or a friendship is to travel with someone. And when you've traveled with someone for six months and you still like them, you're still getting along, and you're still friends, and you haven't gotten divorced, you haven't broken up, that's usually a very, very good sign. And so I'm taking it as an excellent sign and a very good omen for the future. I am so grateful that you have decided to come back and be part of this next chapter of this journey. The most valuable thing you can give anyone in the whole world is your time and Those of you who are such faithful, regular listeners, which I must say is most of you who are listening, those of you who are listening weekly and you give 40, some 50, sometimes an hour a week of your time to this show, sharing it with me, that is the greatest gift you can give anyone. And the time that I spend collecting topics and sounds and ideas and experiences to share with you is my gift and my way of giving myself to you as well. So I feel like it's a very, very mutually beneficial give and take and wonderfully mutually experienced time that we spend together. So I'm just grateful and so excited. Now, having said all that, (laughs) when I left at the end of season 25, I said goodbye to you with a promise that the next time we talked, a couple things would be happening. First of all, I would maybe be sharing two episodes with you this coming week, which is still the case. But I also mentioned that I was getting ready to leave on a really, really exciting trip down the Adriatic coast and kind of doing a kind of a really wonderful loop through some places we've been wanting to see in Italy. And while that is still happening, there has been a slight delay because as we were preparing to leave and we were going to be on the road by Friday at the latest, We had an appointment to have the car just checked out. The car is not an old car, but it hasn't been driven a lot over the last few years. And so we thought maybe it would be a good idea to take it in and get it serviced and a quick tune-up. And in the process of doing that, we discovered that not only do we need a new set of tires, but we were also needing a couple other parts and those parts all had to be ordered and the tires which we were told we should absolutely not 
go on this trip with the tires that we have because they have some damage and some cracking and they've been kind of sitting in the garage for too long and they just they just haven't been driven and they've gotten kind of brittle and from just sitting and we really need new tires and the tires that we needed which I would have not expected them to be anything specialty the tires are on back order and they're coming from Germany and we will not be able to get the tires until Monday so I am still sitting here in our house recording this from our home here in Coniano in the Prosecco Valley we have not hit the road we are already two days behind schedule and it just is what it is so I'm really not upset about it I'm choosing to just roll with this and I really believe that things happen the way they're supposed to happen and as I shared with you in the last episode the beautiful thing about not having such a highly scheduled and highly choreographed trip is that we kind of don't have to be anywhere by any certain time we've kind of divided the roles i'm going to be the driver because i love to drive and Alessandro is going to be responsible for finding the places for us to stay. So I'm going to be kind of taking care of of navigating and choosing the route. And Alessandro is going to be responsible for as we get into a new city or as we approach a city and decide where we're going to be staying for for the night or maybe for the next few days. He's going to be the one that's going to be finding the places because he's very good at that. And so we've kind of divided our roles up. And so that's what we're going to do. So tomorrow, I'm recording this on Sunday evening, as I usually do. And so tomorrow, we are taking the car in. And hopefully, by the end of the day tomorrow, the car will be completely ready to go. We have gotten the air conditioner recharged. So we're going to have lots of nice, cool air to keep us <laughs> to keep us fresh and cool as we make our drive down through a very hot southern Italy in the, in July. It's pretty warm down there. And this evening, I'm excited because I've mentioned about how big soccer football is here in Italy. And I told you that there was, there was a big thing going on. It wasn't the World Cup, but I didn't know what was happening. Well, I've, I've since done enough research to learn that these are the European championships that are happening right now. And the incredible thing is that Italy has made it to the finals. And so tonight is the final game with Italy playing England. And so all of you amazing listeners from Great Britain, England, uh, sorry, but um, I'm going to be definitely rooting for Italy tonight. And I am sure you're going to be rooting for your country. So uh, may the best team win. I am looking forward to going out after I finish recording this and we are going to go out and find a place where they are watching the game. I'm not sure if they're going to be watching the game in the town square, but that would be amazing if they had the game up on a big screen. I don't know where we're going to watch the game, but we are going to we've decided we're going to go watch the game even though neither one of us are soccer, football or as they call it here, calcio fans. We are simply going to go and experience the kind of enthusiasm of everyone else. 
And so that is what we're going to do after dinner. We're going to go find a place. The game, I think, is over by around 11 o'clock tonight. I think it is actually just starting now. I think we're about 20 minutes into the game right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I hope to collect some really great sounds and some video clips from hopefully everybody celebrating a win. So I'm going to either be capturing a win or a defeat. I'm not sure yet. So we will know by the time I edit this episode tomorrow and upload it just through the sounds, you will know whether or not the game was a win or a loss, I'm sure, because I don't have any way of knowing that yet. So the great thing is I didn't have to come up with a whole bunch of content for today's episode because I have that really fantastic first interview that I was able to get in California. So that is what today's episode is going to be about. Before I get into that, I do want to cover just a couple little quick things and a few things from this week before I get into that episode. First of all, I want to say that I am in this in this season and season starting with season two here, I am not going to be doing a welcome to every new country that comes into the listening audience. And what I might do is I might do big sort of like save up for big welcomes and and occasionally do them. I might not do them anymore, but I try to reach out to everybody who joins the podcast on Instagram and on social media and welcome them and ask them where they're from. So I do a I do a pretty thorough job of welcoming you all individually to the show. You all know you're welcome, no matter what country you're listening from. So I think you already know that. But I'm going to add a new segment. And I'm going to share that with you after the interview. So there's going to be a new segment. I'm getting rid of the welcoming of the new countries. And I actually think that part of the reason why I'm going to sort of shift away from the welcoming of all the new countries is because as interesting as it is, and it was really great in the first season, I think, and and exciting, especially, there's going to come a time when there just aren't any more countries. There's only about 180 countries in the world. And so, you know, at some point we're going to run out of countries. And so anyway, but this new segment I'm very excited about. It's something that I've been kind of excited to share with you all for a while. And I've been kind of compiling content and a list of things I want to share. So I'm looking forward to that. It's just a short segment. It's going to, I'm going to keep the surrounding sound segment. I'm going to keep the Italian proverb segment for this season. At least I'm, I'm always going to have the surrounding sound segment. That's a classic, you know, that's just, that's kind of a classic original to this show, I think. And so I'm not letting go of that one. I, I think surrounding sounds have not only been your favorite, as you've shared with me, you love, you know, you all listening have shared many, many times that you really enjoy the sounds, but I, I really enjoy it too. It's fun for me to collect them. It's fun for me to really keep my senses sharp and think about what I think would be interesting to share with you and the very, very unique and specific sounds from Italy. So that's staying. So one thing that I want to share with you, it sounds like a simple thing, but to me it was a big thing. And growing up in California, in a farming community, one of the things that happened a lot 
from the time I was a very young boy, as early as I can remember, and, and still happens today at my parents' ranch, is neighbors will share produce with each other. They will share corn, sweet corn, or peaches, nectarines, plums, cherries, apricots, boxes of lettuce. Because we're in the farming business, and we mainly grow almonds and walnuts, and, and other some other crops, but the main crops we grow are almonds and walnuts. So we share those with our friends and family and, and neighbors. But we have so many neighbors that share with us that grow other products. Everything from pistachios, pecans, every imaginable type of fruit and vegetable, whether it's something that's fresh or something that's been, you know, preserved or pickled or <laughs> dried, you know, everything from dried fruits to fresh fruits and everything in between. That's something that I grew up experiencing and loving. We always had a garden. We always grew a big, huge crop of sweet corn. And as you can tell, I, I have very fond memories of doing this. But w the point I wanted to make, what I wanted to share with you was this week, one of our neighbors brought us a big bag full of fresh produce out of her garden. And to me, that was so special. Yesterday, I was here at home and Alessandra was taking a nap and I was working on something and the doorbell rang. And so I went to answer the doorbell. I always have a little bit of a... You know, when I'm home by myself or when I have to answer the door with my limited Italian, I always have a little bit of a kind of like that feeling of my heart dropping to my feet when, oh gosh, like how am I going to, how am I going to manage this? Who Who's at the door? What are they going to want? What are they going to need? Hopefully I don't have to wake Alessandro up to, to have help with this. But I went to the door and there was Elena. Her name is Elena. And there was Elena. And she didn't say one word to me. She just handed me this bag, this big, huge bag full of tomatoes, three different types of tomatoes, and bell peppers, and green peppers of another variety, I'm not sure which type, and a couple really wonderful, really large, long, skinny cucumbers. And I said, oh, you know, in Italian, I said, oh, grazie Elena, grazie, grazie mille. And she just smiled and waved and walked away. <laughs> she didn't say one word to me. And I brought, I brought the vegetables into the kitchen and washed them. And oh, they were, they were straight out of her garden. And they smelled like amazing summer vegetables. And there's just, I don't care. I don't care what how wonderful fruit and, and vegetables and produce is from a grocery store. There is nothing like the, the beautifully imperfect vegetables and fruit that come out of a garden, a home garden. You know, getting a tomato that's warm still from the sun, that smells like a real tomato. I was just so happy. I kind of just took the fruit out and washed it and set it there on the counter and just sort of looked at it. And it just kind of dawned on me that this was the first of, this was a first, a real first for here in Italy. And 
it just made me really happy. It made me feel so grateful and it made me feel a little bit more like this was home. And it reminded me of my home and growing up and reminded me of my childhood, but it just made me really happy. And then of course I proceeded to uh, cut up some of the vegetables, the cucumbers and the tomatoes and made what my family would make every summer, which was a tomato, cucumber, and red onion sort of summer salad that we would, just a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of apple cider vinegar, salt and pepper, that's it. And that is what I was raised on in the summer, and that is what I made here. And so, of course, I had to photograph it. I had to take videos of the salad. I was so excited, but I took it even one step further. I saved the seeds from some of the cucumbers and from one of the tomatoes. There was one singular tomato that was a very different tomato from some of the others. And it was a very fleshy tomato and it had practically no seeds in it. And it smelled good and it was beautiful and it was perfectly ripe. But it was one of those varieties of tomatoes. I have no idea what variety it was. It was a variety of tomato that that it's less filled with juice and more filled with kind of that that internal pulp, but just hardly any seeds. One of the things I don't really love in a tomato is a lot of seeds. In fact, for the longest time, I didn't like tomatoes. I've learned to like them. But this specific tomato had a very sweet flavor. I mean, I have to find out what variety it is. Anyway, so the few seeds that were in that tomato I saved and I've dried them And those are going to be some of the first tomatoes that I plant here, probably not going to be until next summer. I'm going to save those seeds until next summer. And also those cucumbers. The cucumbers were fantastic. I love it when you can leave the skin on the cucumbers not so bitter and you can leave the peel on. So I saved some of those seeds. Hopefully the seeds are mature enough that they will they will grow. I know the tomatoes will grow because tomatoes grow quite easily, but hopefully t- the, the cucumbers grow too. But if, if those both of those seeds grow into plants next year and, and then produce more fruit, I could potentially be eating cucumbers and tomatoes from those first tomatoes and cucumbers for the rest of my life here in Italy. That's what's so amazing to me about seeds and plants. It's a miracle. But how amazing is, is that? Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. To me, that was that might seem silly to some of you, but to me, that was something so special. And it filled me with joy, it filled me with gratitude, and it made me feel a little bit more like, like I was at home. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you. So. Now I would like to introduce this very first and very special interview to you. I have a kind of growing list of people that I would like to interview and share with you on this podcast. I'm kind of working on bringing in some very special guests to share. And it's not necessarily going to be people that are famous. It's just certain people that I find very interesting. Some people who have moved here from other places and other people who have lived here for a long time and other people who are native Italians. So I want to share some some future interviews with you. It might be people that are famous. 
And, but it's going to be more than anything, people with really wonderful stories. Who would be the most incredible first guest? You know, wouldn't it be amazing if I could get someone like Donatella Versace or, you know, you know, Giorgio Armani or, or somebody incredible that is like world famous Italian, you know, Monica Bellucci or somebody wonderful like that. And as I was thinking about who would be such a special first guest, it finally just dawned on me. The person that I want to have as my very first guest is someone that I love more than just about anyone else in the whole world. And that is my grandmother in California. And I'm going to explain why. Not only is my grandmother someone who is extraordinarily dear and special to me, and in many ways more of a friend than a grandmother, but she's both. She is someone who has lived an extraordinary life, and she is someone who I have an enormous amount of respect for. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background on her. One of the things that is so poignant and special about her is that she is someone who has taken pieces of property, bare pieces of land in California. She's done this twice. She's purchased a piece of land that she felt was in a good location, that was a good investment, and she has designed and built homes on both of these pieces of property. She still has both of these homes, and she is preparing at the age of 84 or 85 this year. I have to double check. She was born in 1937. I have to do the math, (laughs) but she is preparing to purchase and develop another piece of land that happens to be a piece of farmland and she's going to develop it and either keep it as an investment or sell it. I'm not sure what she's going to do, but she is someone who has a lot of experience doing this. And that is something that I am getting ready to do that we are getting ready to do here in Italy. And we might be potentially taking a piece of land with an old ruin on it and turning it into something wonderful. I'm not sure what we're going to find. We're looking at pieces of land that are buildable. We're looking at pieces of land that have a rustic home that need to be renovated. We're looking at lots of different options. So I felt like interviewing her right now and getting some advice from her moving forward would be something really special. So I wanted to take some time. I asked her if she'd be willing to sit down with me, and she said she would. I told her that it would only take 10 or 15 minutes, and I was fortunate to get much more than just 10 or 15 minutes. So that means that we all got lucky there. I think you're going to find her just as interesting as I do. Before I start the interview, I'd like to give you just a little bit of background about her and her life and share just a little bit of an introduction of who she is. Her first name is Patricia. Her middle name is Lois, which I have always thought was kind of a very, very cool name. So Patricia Lois, when I was a little boy, very young, up until it became kind of silly, I called her Patty. So we called her Grandma Patty. She just lived literally two streets over, two country roads over from us. So we could walk to her house. She had a swimming pool and tons of fruit trees and 
some of my best memories of my childhood are walking to her house that was so close to my parents' house growing up. So many of my summers were spent at her house as a child at her swimming pool. And she has always been someone that I just absolutely adored. She was born, like I said, in 1937. She was born in Southern California. And she grew up on a little tiny farm in the San Bernardino Valley. Now, of course, it's all homes and businesses. There's no ranches, there's no farms, there's no citrus groves like there used to be. She grew up with her three siblings, two sisters and a brother. Her father was a police officer and her mother was an incredible woman who had sort of come from the Ozark Mountains in Missouri and had snuck and and lied about her age and worked for the railroad. My great-grandmother, who I knew, she lived to be over 100, so I knew her very, very well. Her name was Jo. That was my great-grandmother. So that was my grandma Patricia's mother. And by the way, if, if you hear me call my grandmother Graham, now, and for the last, as long as I can remember, at being an adult, <laughs> I have called her Graham. So every, all my friends and our, most, most of our family calls her Graham as well. So she's just Graham now. And so anyway, so Graham's mother, Jo, was just a incredible woman. She was, those of you who know about history and during World War II, there were women who would help to build the airplanes. And they called them Rosie the Riveters because they would rivet the planes together, the pieces that held the paneling on the outside of the planes, the little pieces that hold those together were called rivets. And the women, many women are the ones who actually built those. The men were the ones fighting the war, but the women were helping to build the planes that helped to win the war. And so during World War II, my gram remembers having to close all your curtains at night and and no lights on past you know past a certain time and and they had to you know use blackout curtains and that was because when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor there was a real fear that Los Angeles was one of the next targets because that was the next point San Francisco and Los Angeles were the next two major cities on the west coast and even though that's still quite a ways from Hawaii, it was kind of the next logical point that was in danger. If the Japanese were somehow to have taken over Hawaii, they could have also made it to the West Coast. And so that was kind of a fear. So unfortunately, Graham's father, who I never met, he abandoned the family and left my great-grandmother with the four kids and the farm, she became a single mother. And she became increasingly fearful of the possibility that they were in an area that could be bombed and that was potentially in danger of, of sort of getting mixed up in the war. And so she thought, I need to get my kids and my family out of here. My husband has left us. And there's no reason for us to, to hang out around here. So she moved her family up to Northern California. 
not actually not too far from Yosemite National Park in the Sierra Mountains. And that's where they lived for quite a while until they moved a little bit closer into the, to the Central Valley and a little bit closer to the coast. So that is how my Graham ended up in Northern California. And she met my grandfather. She got married at 18 and then had my mom at 19. And then she had two twin boys. And then she proceeded to have quite an interesting life. My grandfather's family, her husband, my grandfather, his family, my great-grandfather and great-grandmother on that side of the family, they were very passionate about helping handicapped children. I know now we call them special needs children, but back then they were called handicapped children and they were very passionate about helping handicapped children get to school. So my great-grandfather, Graham's father-in-law, he actually had a child who was a special needs child. And so he had decided that he wanted to figure out a way to help these children get to school. Because in those days, there just was no way for a child to get in, in, for example, a child who was maybe blind or who had to use a walker or crutches or was in a wheelchair, there was no way for them to get to school. And so he invented a way for a bus to transport children to school. And he actually renovated some old limousines and then eventually some Volkswagen vans and buses and until eventually they, they had some actual buses. And he helped create a lift that would lift a wheelchair up into a bus. And so that was the beginning of a family business. And that family business is now uh, still in the family and it's it's grown to a much different type of business. They still are transporting special needs children to school in California, but now they're all over California and they're in the tourism business and they have coaches and they transport people all over the state of California and had a very, very humble start. And my gram, one of her jobs was to be in charge of the school bus division of that company because that's where kind of everything started. So she was in charge of routing the buses and all the routes. She was in charge of working on the contracts with the school districts, working on you know, being in charge of the drivers and, you know, the drivers would report to her. And, and so at some point she also herself became a single mother and she had to raise her three children, my mom and her two twin brothers on her own. And so she was a working mother, a single mother. She was, in my opinion, kind of incredible to be able to do everything that she did. She helped to grow the business, the school bus side of the business, but then she also helped sort of start the tourism side of the business. And sometimes she would actually have to, and very often she would travel. And, you know, once her children were raised, she would travel and go on different tours and, and sort of that's one of the ways that she was able to travel the world. She saw a whole bunch of the world and part of my love for travel I got from her because she was always so enthusiastic about traveling. And she was one of those people who was brave enough to travel alone. And so some of her stories about traveling the world alone are just incredible. And anyway, so she had a lot of struggles 
and a lot of challenges. Raising three children alone, she had some major, major health issues, including skin cancer. And then she lost my uncle, David, when he was 16 years old. One of her twin boys died in a car accident. And so sort of had all the cards stacked against her. And one of those people who really shouldn't have, according to you know, the way the world was set up, she really shouldn't have been a success. She shouldn't have made it. But because of her work ethic, her brains, her intelligence, and her stick to her independence, and her refusal to give up, she not only survived, but she thrived in her life. And I have been very close to her since I was very young. In fact, we always have a joke. I remember when I was a little boy, I asked her how old she was, and she told me at that time she was 55. And so in my mind, she just kind of stayed 55. And we joke now, every time she has a birthday, I'm like, well, you can have a birthday all you want, but to me, you'll always be 55. (laughs) Anyway, we've had the great fortune of being able to travel together. One of my favorite trips that I've ever taken in my entire life was traveling to Scotland with my gram. We had two weeks in Scotland and Ireland and England, and most of it was spent in Scotland. And it was one of the most incredible trips of my entire life. We just had such an incredible time. In fact, I think you might even be able to find some photos from that trip on my Instagram page going back, I think it was maybe back in 2013. Anyway, she is a friend, a confidant, someone who I look up to, someone who I have traveled with, I have laughed with, I've cried with. We have shared a lot. She's seen me at my best. She's seen me at my worst. And I trust her and admire her more than just about anyone else in my life. And I'm beyond grateful that I was able to have her as a grandmother. She was a real gift and a real blessing in my life. So it is a real honor and a real privilege for me to be able to introduce you to my Graham. So without further ado, I would just like to turn this portion of the podcast in this first episode of season two over to my Graham on her farm. And at the end of this interview, I'm going to come back and finish off the show as I normally would. I want to turn the microphone over to my grandmother, Patricia Storer, and I'm going to start off with this question for you, Graham. First of all, thank you for agreeing to sit here and speak with me and all of our wonderful listeners across the world. But I wanted to first ask you, what inspired you to buy your first property and develop it. And then also I'd like you to share about your second piece of property. And then I'm going to ask you about your upcoming project. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you. I'd like you to share your experiences creating something and make your visions come to life. Good morning, everyone. Yes. Um, Nathan has given me a lot of compliments, and I appreciate those. Uh, He's asked me a question about 
what motivated me to build my first house. Well, when I was a little girl, my friends all had grandmas that lived over on the coast, and they would go visit their grandmother every summer. And somewhere along the line, I must have decided, because I did, when I get to be a grandma, I'm going to have a coast house. So, when I gathered up enough money to purchase, we found a um, development about, um, oh, I'd say 300 yards from the ocean. When I got it paid for, now this has streets, and this has water, and it has uh, utilities in, so really I didn't have to do that part. But I did have to um, design a house that would accommodate those grandchildren that I wanted to have come share with me. So I had to go and get a plan. And uh, seeing as how I'm kind of an opinionated about how houses should be, I had to design it myself so it would be efficient. Well, after you get the plans all made, the next thing you have to do is find a contractor. That is, after you've gotten your permit. In Santa Cruz County, that isn't always easy. It just happened that, and I call it a God moment, when uh, interest rates in 1985 um, were up at about 20%. And so all the people who were going to build couldn't afford that kind of interest, and they tossed all their permits back in the pot. Well, I had already taken enough money. I put it in the money market and let it develop, and it was I was happy when it got to be 20% because I was making a lot of money on my investment, which afforded me the ability to pay for the house. And then I found a contractor and then it proceeded. However, it did take two years, and it was slow motion, because only two um, men were working on this house, and they were doing it like perfectionists. I mean, one would have to look at the house and see all of the mitering and all of the woodwork and all of the detail that they put in to this residence. And now I can't afford to sell it because I can't ever replace it. So that was the first house over on the coast. And uh, it became my escape from work. Um, seeing as how I lived right next door to my work, um, you were never away from it unless you got in your car and drove to the coast and um, be able to walk the beach and play with your flower garden and just pretend that life was had a different angle to it than just a slave labor camp at home. Then came this opportunity from one of my friends who wanted to sell his three and a half acres. So I bought it.
Now, this is back in the 1970s that I'm buying this piece of property, and it just sat here. I paid for it, and I paid the taxes on it, but it just sat here. And when I was about 65, I decided that maybe it was time for me to move away from that office and that business and develop a little place. So I drove out to see what my three and a half acres looked like, and I'm going, oh, this is going to be a doozy of a job. Because it did not have a well, it did not have any utilities, it had an old barn shed and an old milk house and a whole bunch of weeds. It had a broken down fence on every corner and um, it needed to be leveled, needed to be cleaned up. So when you have an open piece of land, the first thing you've got to do is find out if you have a source for wells. You've got to find out if you can build a house on your acreage. And then you have to figure out what kind of a house you're going to build on it and design that, and then you have to get a contractor. In the case of me, I um, had put in an irrigation system, so my pastures were going to be watered. I had to put in a driveway, and I had to put in drains. You have to put in your own septic tank, and you have to be sure you do it in a proper way so that it's away from your well. It's um, what you call a project that uh, goes along and you see, okay, I got that knocked down, I did that, that's taken care of, okay, now, oh, that's right, I've got to go back to the county and get a permit. Well, they designed this one house and they said, well, you can't have that one because you, unless that's the only house you built, you can only have one house, and I wanted a guest house, you know. But they wouldn't let me have a guest house on my property. They told me I have to have one house. Well, to say the least, I purchased the three and a half acres in 1970 for $18,000. When about 2000 came along, I was asked if I would sell it for 450000 Land has a way of improving itself. That same thing happened to me over on the coast. I paid 29000 for this lot. However, one month later I was offered 35000 About three months later it was 90000 So. You can see I'm not feeling real bad about my purchase of the properties. I'm sitting there looking at this situation and saying I'm making more money on these pieces of property, according to the realtors, than I am in my slave labor. However, uh, when you have a piece of land that's worth 450000 then you have to build a house that's going to be equivalent to that and design something that's going to be functional, operate in an, a manner which you know you want to live, but others can enjoy. And I do have a large family. 
I don't know if Nathan told you this, but he comes from a family of nine children, which means that I have 12 because my son has three children. So I have 12 grandchildren that come to the Coast House. Well, you know, that's in the 80s. You know what happened? They all grew up, got married, and now I have, like, I, last count, I think it was 21 great-grandchildren. As a result, if you're going to have a house and you're going to have those kind of people coming to visit you, you have to have a fairly big house. This is kind of like, okay. Now everybody's looking at me with, you're going to build this house? You're going to live in this house all by yourself? I mean, I think it's something like um, 4,200 square feet, two-story. Now, I have witnessed on the coast everybody put their kitchens up on the second floor. And I have witnessed that they couldn't stay in them when they got older because of their health or their inability to climb stairs. So, in my house is an elevator. Yes, I know. It sounds ridiculous to have an elevator in your house. But anyway, I do because I have a bedroom upstairs. I have one downstairs if it comes to it, but I like the one upstairs where the breeze comes through and all. Well, anyway, that house was has been built, and then you have to landscape, and then because I wanted to have animals out in my pastures, I have to have good fencing, and... Um, and believe me, you really need good fencing, because I had fence, but uh, the cows seemed to be able to go through it at all good given times. And um, so I had woke up one morning with the phone ringing, telling me I had a Angus calf cow out on the road in the fog while everybody was going to work. So. Um, I immediately decided to get out of the cattle business until I got a qualified fence that would keep those animals in my yard and not out there as a liability to hurt somebody. Okay, now, today's day. I have a yard that has a vegetable garden, which we grow most of my foods, and I'm saying potatoes, garlic, onions, tomatoes, cucumbers, pumpkins, watermelon. Um, I have an orchard. I have apricots and nectarines, peaches, walnuts, cherries, and um, persimmon tree. That's in one orchard. Then I have a bunch of citrus along my fence. I keep them real bushy. I don't want them to get too tall where I can't get up and harvest my oranges, grapefruit, and um, lemons, orange, but it's good. Anyway, so as people come over to my house, I pretty much can go out and pick off oranges off the tree and squeeze them and put them in um, a glass. I don't squeeze them. I have an automatic squeezer, and it dumps the juice down so that I have um, 
fresh orange juice. Well, the garden is beautiful. The landscaping is wonderful. It's very peaceful. And you know what else? Sure, I got a big house. But there came the time when this Airbnb came along. And that's when people wanted to go. It just so happens that my acres is about halfway from the San Francisco airport to Yosemite National Park. Well, guess what? I have had guests come to stay with me from Australia, Denmark, um, all over the United States. And so I wasn't really here all the time by myself, having all these people coming in different, from different directions and sharing their lives with me. And uh, it's been, was really fun and good uh, to have them know, and they just really enjoyed my fresh orange juice and my coffee and sitting out on the patio, um, relaxing and watching the birds go by. Uh, the geese go over all the time and the ducks are here. Um, when it rains, my drains all fill up a pond and the ducks come and swim around. Um, just uh, been an extremely satisfying experience, but it took a lot of time, took a lot of planning to arrive at this. But after 11 years now, I've enjoyed it, and um, got big willow trees out in my pasture so my cattle can go and get cool, and uh, lots of trees. And you can't imagine, this three and a half acres didn't even have one tree on it. But I do have to tell you one surprise. Nathan was working at a nursery as a um, propagator. And the nursery was going to expand their, their yard. And um, they were, had an olive tree right in the middle of this whole area where they wanted to clear. And uh, Nathan looked at that olive tree and he said, I wonder if anybody wants this tree. What are you going to do with it? We're going to dump it over the side there. We're not, you sure you don't want it? Nobody wanted it in the, the family that was he was working for. So he said, well, I would like to have it. He asked me if I would care if he tried a project on me. And so he went over there to where it was, and he dug all around it, and he knocked it over. Then he trimmed out all the branches except four huge branches, because this olive tree is about 100 years old. And then he and his brother brought it over to my property and put it in the hole. I had a man with a, a backhoe here, and he dug a hole for me so that when they plopped this olive tree in the ground that would be able to stand up and get covered up the roots. Nathan said, well, Graham, it's probably not going to produce any fruit, but at least you have a hundred-year-old olive tree. That olive tree is so beautiful. 
and it produces so many olives that you there's no way unless you're some kind of a canner would ever be able to process as many olives as this tree produces but when it came it was naked and we're all just sitting there saying well I wonder what God's gonna do with this tree and you know he made it beautiful I wished I could share it with you just how beautiful it is and how beautiful the surroundings here that are developed by this time I'm retired you know I started this project about when I was oh I'd say around 73 and uh, well no I started before that I would say I must have been around 70 the other house on the coast was finished 20 years earlier when I was 50 well that's about all I can say in regards to that question that's wonderful Graham and thank you for sharing that and answering that question in such a beautiful way the wonderful thing is all the properties and even that olive tree that you talked about I have captured on video and so the video that goes along with this episode will show Graham on her property living the life of the farmer that she has become even driving her tractor that she has here and so we will be showing them little clips of these beautiful properties that you've created on the Instagram video that goes along with this episode. But Graham, I also wanted you to share with the listeners what you have been doing since five o'clock this morning, because while we've been upstairs asleep, you've been awake doing the work of a farmer. So. I'd like you to share what you've been up to today and a little bit about your upcoming project that you have as well. Well, time flies in the morning. And um, when I get a call that says I'm going to get the water, now what in the world does she mean by getting the water? Well, that means I'm going to have to flood irrigate my pastures. I don't know if anybody's familiar with this project, but on the property are five valves that all have to be opened up. And when the ditch tender uh, calls to say he has water, then I open those valves up and we flood the pasture so they get enough water. And in the Central Valley, it gets 104 sometimes. It's hot here in the summertime. And to keep my pasture's green and healthy, I have to water them. And this is how you do it. And today was the day the water came. So I was up at 5.30 this morning, and I do have what I call this one outfit. When I have to go out and do what I call slave labor in the farm issue, I think I need to look like a farmer. And um. I do have a little golf cart so I can run around and check to see if the water is doing what it's supposed to do and going where it is. And when it fills up one pasture, then I can turn that valve off so the force of the water will go to the other um, pastures. And the way I did it is having a front pasture so I can see the animals. And then I have a side pasture on the... On the um, on the other side of a driveway 
and then in the back behind the barn I have another pasture and it's kind of cute sometimes when you have to transfer these animals well they're beef cattle and um, when you have to transfer them from one to the other and there is no real fence it takes a couple of people to make sure that they go where they want to go until they get trained when they're trained they pretty much want to go where you're going to open the gate because it's a fresh field and they go out and kick up their heels and say hey well, let's go brand new field then i see if you will alternate your pastures then one will grow while the other one's being eaten and then you uh, just kind of give them each a turn and that way you don't stomp down too much and the animals keep getting good food and that's what you want because that's what's going to make them healthy and fat so they go to market and yes i do i sell and i buy some younger ones and um start all over again until they get up to the time when they're time to be sold and um in the meantime i enjoy them but i do like to go out and give them some candy which is grain really oats and molasses and that kind of stuff and if i don't bring it to them sometimes they just yell at me moo 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 where's our cookies um but i consider that fun i think that it's been a blessing to um see the animals and see how they one time i had cows and those cows delivered baby calves oh boy is that ever thrilling however that got to be a little difficult because i have to um get a bull in to impregnate those cows and when the bull came he was so big that he practically knocked down the fragile barn i have and i'm going this is not going to be good it's nice to be able to um have a cup of coffee in between checking water and um Nathan's been here with me um having a cup of coffee and then he put this microphone up in front of me and said uh i just want 10 minutes of your time graham and uh so we're having coffee and um i feel like i've been talking for 30 minutes but it's been a pleasure now have i answered all your questions you've been wonderful graham and in fact you are quite a natural i think that you're going to have everybody want you to start your own podcast or at least be a regular guest of this one because it's clear that you're going to steal the show on this for sure <laughs> I want to ask you finally just um if you're interested in sharing your plans for your next project without maybe going into so much detail but just briefly your plan for this next project that you have and then also if you could do anything over again if you have any advice for what you might do different or what you've learned along the way as I get ready to attempt kind of the similar thing in Italy the climate is pretty similar in Italy but it's a long ways away from California. I'm just wondering if you have any advice for me as I move forward with trying to do something kind of similar to what you have done here. I hesitate ever to give advice to anybody 
every once in a while when I do, I get in trouble. So I've um, decided that maybe if I can just keep my mouth shut, I'll be in better shape. Okay, let's talk about this 30 acres that I'm proposing to purchase at this age in my life. And when I heard that they were going to sell this place, I started thinking, not a good idea. But I realized that this realtor that suggested they sell this this 30 acres in California that sits above a river is prime land, and they're going to sell it for 900000 And I'm saying, oh, you know, that's just not enough. If my three and a half acres is worth four and a half with nothing on it, that's worth a lot more than that. So I determined in my mind a figure of what it was really worth from the knowledge that I have of property around in California, right today's market. And then I reduce it a little bit because the market never stays that way. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down. You don't don't count on it to be forever. And it's not going to go up because people are going to have to afford what they live, where they live. And um, so I determined that it should be not sold for 900000 In fact, I told one of my grandsons, I said, you know, if I were younger, I would buy that. Then I said to myself... I don't have to worry about how old I am. I can know what needs to be done, and I can get it done. And when no one else in the family wanted it, I thought, well, I'll just buy it. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I'm going to go in debt for a million dollars? Yeah, I am. Because um, what I think I'll do is probably... Go in just like I did here and level it, clear it, and um, get the water going. And then I think I'm probably going to plant an orchard. And uh, I will leave by... Now, when I say this, when they go in to clear and level and make sure the property is, you know, irrigatable... Uh, you get an orchard, you want to have to irrigate it. In California, you have to put in a, a drip system on every tree, and that, that's a fun thing because they clog up quite often, and you have to uh, unclog them. But it's a lot more difficult with the drip system than it is with the flood. But... We don't have enough water in California to use flood irrigation anymore. So, um, basically, everybody drips it. So, I will then have those graders who come in set up a pad that's elevated above the area where you're going to put your orchard. Okay and put one of them down there by the river so that you get the whole uh, scheme of things. And then as it happens, there's an um, elevated area in this 30 patch, on this, in the nine-acre parcel. There's an elevated part, which is a great home site for another home. 
to look out over the river. And then I think that the upper, the one away from the um, river, I'll probably sell for a good size amount of money because it's associated with nine acres. And then I have the other 21 acres that's got this beautiful home site by the river and the whole thing. And um, I think it'll sell for a good sizable amount. Now, it's going to take an investment. It's going to take an investment of about 200000 to get it in this condition because no matter how you estimate, always there's something else that comes up. Your well may not be deep enough. Uh, your pump might not be right. If you don't have it, you have to get these things all in order. So there's things that have to be uh uh, what do you say, uh, recognized and dealt with. I don't like cheaply done. I believe in doing it right the first time, and then uh, you have less maintenance the rest of the time. So I take my time to do this kind of thing and say, okay, well, I might make a profit, I might come out even, or I might lose. A little. It's in the experience and the challenge that goes into to putting together something that has always been my real um, satisfaction. When you see a completion of something that has been in your head and uh, you acknowledge, oh my gosh, I did it. It is the most wonderful feeling of fulfillment. And that's all I have to say, because this 10 minutes has turned into an hour, and I've got to go check my irrigation. Thanks again, Graham, for taking this time with us. I know that this is going to mean a lot to our listeners, and it means a lot to me. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Graham. I love you, and I look forward to being back in California for another visit in about three months. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. I'll just count down the days. Thank you, Graham. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that really special interview with my grandmother, one of my most beloved and favorite people in the whole world. And I hope you were able to get a little sense for who she is and hope you enjoyed what she had to say. I know I certainly enjoyed sitting there and having that conversation with her. So that brings us to our Italian proverb for the week. I like all of the proverbs, but this specific one I find to be very special, especially for any of you who are considering a move to Italy or to any other place in the world. And here is the proverb. Quando cambi paese, cambi la fortuna. And that means when you change your country, you change your luck. Isn't that great? I think that probably came from maybe from a time when there were a lot of Italians who were migrating out of Italy to the United States, to other places in the world. And they were, you know, after the war, they were doing their best to change their luck and to go to a place with more opportunities. And I happen to be very happy that I am 
I can say the same thing about moving to Italy. It is certainly a fortune changer for me, and I'm sure it will be for you as well. So remember, quando cambi paesi, cambi la fortuna. When you change your country, you change your luck. So now I would like to introduce this very, very short and simple new segment that I'm starting off and introducing here in season two. And this is what I'm going to call this particular very short new segment. Don't you love it when? So I find that the reason that I'm calling it that is because I find that I say those words to people often. I'll say something like, don't you love it when this happens? Or don't you love it when that happens? Or don't you love it when dot, 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 whatever. So as I go through each week and just observe the world around me, I'm going to be collecting little things that happen throughout the week. And I'm going to be asking you, don't you love it when? And then I'm going to share what that thing is that I love it when that thing happens. And so one of those very simple things that happened to me this week as I was out walking through the city here in Conigliano was I walked past a bird that was in the grass right beside me as I was walking through the park. And that bird did not fly away out of fear when I walked past. The bird was very busily searching for insects and it saw me, but it did not fly away. It wasn't afraid of me. And so what I'm going to say is, don't you love it when you walk past a bird in the park or anywhere and the bird is so at ease and so fearless and doesn't see you as a threat that it doesn't fly away. Isn't that great? Am I the only one who loves that? Tell me what you think. Send me a message. Tell me if that's something that you love as well. All right. I hope you enjoyed that new segment and I'm looking forward to sharing many more of those new don't you love it wins with you in the future. So that brings us to our surrounding sounds for this week's episode. And of course, because I interviewed my grandmother, it would not be right unless I shared some sounds from her little farm in California. So these are going to be some sounds of us picking oranges and then juicing those oranges into fresh squeezed orange juice that we had at her house. And then I'm also, of course, going to share the sound of the game, the soccer game, the Gioca di Calcio that is going to be happening tonight. And like I said, you're going to be able to tell from the sound whether or not the game was won or lost. And then the final sound is the sound of us getting our car worked on and dropping the car off and picking it up at the shop here, at the mechanic shop, to be worked on and getting it ready for our road trip down through southern Italy. So enjoy those sounds, and I will be back afterwards to say a final goodbye.
put it in the glass. And then we move that glass and get another glass. Wow, it's so cold. <laughs> you don't have to pour it oh, or dirty that. Do you like pulp in your... I do too.
Grazie, ciao, ciao. I hope you enjoyed those sounds from this week's episode. And thank you so very much for coming back, celebrating with me the start of a brand new season. I am smiling from ear to ear. Can you hear the smile in my voice? I am so, so happy that I get to start this next chapter with you. And I also want to share the good news is I am still going to be releasing a second episode later on this week. I don't know which day, and I don't know how long the episode will be. I, of course, will still be releasing my regular episode next Monday as well. So between this episode and next Monday, I will be releasing another episode that's kind of a bonus episode from On the Road. I've never done that before. I've never released two episodes in one week. So this is going to be kind of new for me. So I'm looking forward to finding out with you, because I have no idea yet what I'm going to be sharing with you, but I'm looking forward to sharing that first leg of our journey down south along the Adriatic coast with you. So stay tuned for that and come back and join me for that episode. Thank you again so much for sharing this time with me. I am looking forward to the next time that we meet and Wherever you're listening to the sound of my voice in the world today, I hope that you are healthy and well, and I look forward to being back here with you very soon. So, in the meantime, take care, God bless, ciao, ciao, ciao.